1 Samuel chapter 22. As I have been on a roll um, doing two chapters the last uh, few weeks, um, it, it is so out of my character um, to do this many chapters. And, 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 and so I did two chapters twice in a row. I said, you know, what the heck? Let's just go for it again. I'm going to go for two more chapters tonight. I'm just going to do it. You know, we'll see how, we, how it turns out. You know, Jim just looked at his watch going, geez, let's see if he can do this. First Samuel chapter 22. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was distress, in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. And David went from there to Mitzpah in Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know that God, uh, what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. I want to stop right there <clears throat> really quick because there's a lot in this little portion. Uh, once we get past verse 5, we will probably pick it up a little bit, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but last week when we, when we ended chapter 20, 21, we, we left David in Gad. And, and, and I don't know if, if, if that little map is going to be able to come up. He is traveling a lot, so I found me a little map. Because I, I love to see where these guys are going. And this one had little colored pictures. And not, there it goes, yeah. So I don't know if you can read it or not. But it just kind of shows you where David is going to be traveling. First in the green, then in the orangey color, and then uh, over to the yellow. And then uh, we won't even get to the red, but be that as it may. Um, he's traveling all over the place. And so he had been in Gath, as you, you see, uh, towards the west there. He had been in Ramah, then Nob, and then from Nob he went to Gath. And that's where we, we left him last week. And, uh, and, and there in Gath is where he was acting crazy, pretending madness in front of the king. You see, his lying... The situation he had gotten himself in, that he began to lie, um, it, the, his lying had, had made him start doing things that he never thought he would be doing in his life. And so now he is on the run, and after lying to the priest in, in Nob, he heads off, and he, and he came to Gath. His lying brought him to Gath. Now, Gath is where Goliath was from. Remember Goliath, that, king, that, that big old giant that he killed? That's where this guy is from. And so somehow he either ends up in Gath or right around Gath, and, and he meets up with, with the king and these people from Gath, and he has Goliath's sword with him. There's only one like it, you know? And so it's like, and then he really can't hide it because he's probably as tall as, as he is. It's really big, and he's probably thinking, like, well, if I run it down my back, you know, it, it's, it's going to show. But, but even more so, they, know, they knew who David was. His, his, his fame had preceded him. They knew that this is the one that had killed Goliath. And so they even called him a king. But it tells us in verse 12 of the previous chapter that David was afraid. Because he was afraid, he changed his behavior. He pretended madness. All because he had, crea he had created a lie. <laughs> All because of that. 
He started lying, and it changed who he really was. And all of a sudden, man, you couldn't, you couldn't figure out who this guy was. You see, when he was living in the truth, and he had that, that characteristic of, of, of a young man who lived in truth, he, he was about 20 years old when this whole story is taking place right here. And he was never afraid when he lived in the truth. You know, he, 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 he didn't have to change who he was when he lived in the truth. He didn't have to pretend anything. He didn't have to be out of his mind when he was in his right mind, when he was following the truth. When, when we see David previous. Lee, you know, he, he had fought a, a lion, he had fought a bear, he had killed a giant. He was willing to stand up against the whole army of the Philistines because he understood who God was, the truth of who God was. And he stood in that, so he was never afraid. It was almost like he had this, this boldness because he, he knew the God of Israel. And there was truth in that, and so he stood in that. But all of a sudden, he begins to change things because he's afraid. And oftentimes, that's when we build our little lies, huh? When all of a sudden we're thinking, man, oh man, I shouldn't have done this, but man, now i got to go with it. And then you, you, you behave like another person, a person that you weren't before. No, I, I, I understand we all have that sin nature. It's really easy for us to lie. Don't get me wrong. No, I'm not lying. It, it really is. <laughs> it's really easy. But, but once we become a Christian and we, we start walking in the truth, we understand how devastating a lie could be. And so even as a Christian, when we get in this bind, we think, well, we've got to lie a little bit here, you know? And all of a sudden you start doing things that you never thought you would do. And so he left Gath, or as it tells us in verse 1, that he escaped Gath. And he went about 10 miles east to the cave of Adullam. And the, 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 the word Adullam means refuge. He, he was in this cave, which was about, if Gath was over here, where you see Gath, he goes to Adullam, which was to the east, and yet his hometown is, is just under Nob around there, a little lower. Um, he's about 15 miles away from his hometown. And so he kind of was in the middle. And that's why it was easy for his family to come and meet with him. Now, this, this cave of Adullam must have been a good-sized cave. I went on, on Google trying to look for it. It, get, it started giving me all these caves, but there were some that were big. But it was big enough to house a good-sized people. Because it wasn't just his brothers, his eight brothers, and his dad. It was his mom, and then their wives, and then their children. And so it must have been a good-sized cave for all these guys to start coming. You see, now the whole family of David is in danger of the spear of Saul. Saul had every right to kill anybody that opposed him he had the right, because he was king, to just slaughter everybody. And so now that David's on the run, his parents think, well, we've got to go join him. His brothers end up probably defecting from Saul's army because at least three of them were already following Saul. So they had to defect because, again, he could just turn around and kill them. Oh, you're David's brother? Bam, you're dead. Here's my spear. Say hello to my little friend. Boom. Right? And so, so he had every right to do that. And so now his brothers, his parents, all the family of David is on the run with David. And his parents, again, they're there and they're all in this cave, but they weren't the only ones. Because in verse 2 it says, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Just those people alone, there was about 400 of them. It's like, those are the kind of people you want on your team, right? Those who are distressed, those who are in debt, those who are discontented, it's like, come on in. The cave is big enough, come on in, everybody. All these people are coming together. And so most of these guys were probably guys who had defected from 
King Saul. They were more than likely in his army. And they had just started seeing things get worse and worse with their king. And so they were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented with what was happening in the army. And so when David became a fugitive, when he was on the lamb, if you will, they decided they wanted to be part of his fold. And the word distress means that they were in a narrow place, confined, in dire straits. They were stressed out and in anguish. That's where these people were. The word debt means that they were broke. <laughs> they were in over their head. And could it be, is it possible that, that Saul had promised them so much if they joined his army, if they came along with him, as, as, as Saul will say later on, hey, the son of Jesse, he's not going to give you land and he's not going to give you, you know, authority. He's not going to give you any of that. I'll give you all these things. And could it be that he had already promised a lot of these guys that they would be, make it rich following after him? And so they go into debt and nothing ever came to fruition for them. And so they become discontented. And the word discontented means that they were angry, bitter, chafed. And that word chafe carries with it like words like irritated, bothered, provoked. You see, there was this heaviness about these people people and they were on the brink of snapping they were ready to break that's who these people are you know all of these men and a few more as we'll see all of these men become david's mighty men when you read in, in, in second chronicles about david's mighty men that's these guys here and it's interesting because these guys are are are, are, are in, not in a good place in their life they are so distressed and in debt and they're discontented. And yet, David says, well, I'm on the run. If you guys want to follow me, come on with me, man. We're going to be living in caves. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be... And they're going, this is better than anything else. And I don't think it was a bad thing. I think they loved David. They had already been around David and they knew the type of person that he was. And they were willing, with, with, with all their baggage that they had, they were willing to go and follow this guy. And I kind of th thought it was interesting because when Jesus goes out and follows and, and picks his disciples, he picks guys that are like nobodies. You know, he, he, he doesn't get the CEO from any business. You know, he doesn't get the producer. He doesn't get the, the big wigs, man. He goes after the people just like these guys. You know, I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, hey, man, that's, that almost sounds like Calvary Chapel feeling. You know? Because there's people that are hurting. There's people that are distressed and dead and, and discontented with life, you know? And yet Jesus says, hey, come after me. Come, come, come and join my fold. I will take you. I, I will use you. And you will see mighty things in me. And that's what these guys are going to be doing. You know, they're, they're gathered together and, and they're, they're just kind of like, okay, here we are. And David's going, follow after me, man. I'll lead you guys. Now, it's interesting because David's on the run and yet now he's having this army come and follow him. I like the fact that David honors his father and his mother and he sought to protect them. He wanted to take care of them and so... Again, they go over from Adullam and they take this long little trip under, under the Dead Sea and over to Moab, to Mitzpah in Moab. And he asked the king if he would shelter them until his days of exile are over. And his days of exile will be about 10 years. But he takes them to Moab. Now, the Moabites, they were descendants of Lot. Abraham's uh, nephew. And they became a people, the Moabites, they, came, they, they became or they came to being from an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his oldest daughter. That's when Moab was born. And that's where they lodged and that's where they stayed. And in the days of, Mo, of Moses, the Moabites were not a, a, a favored people among the Jews. But get this, 
David's great-grandmother was Ruth. And she was a Moabite. And so he's just not, because I was thinking, oh, he's just going over to the king. It's like, hey, take care of my peeps. And it's like, no, they're relatives. They're distant relatives. They, they, they have something in common there. Because his great-grandmother was a Moabite. And so he goes and finds help, and he gains support from the king of Moab. And so after securing his parents, he comes back to Adullam, and he moves his company to the stronghold, a fortress, if you will. And many believe that, that it was in this place, just, just on, the, on the coast of the Dead Sea. It's not in the map but it's probably below the red line. There's a place called Masada. Some of you guys may have heard it. The word stronghold in, in, in the Hebrew is Masada. Uh, it, it translates to that. And it's this, this stronghold. It's this mountain, mountain that they built this big old thing on top of it. You could see for miles. And it was almost impenetrable. Except that one time it did get it. And they built this big old long ramp that was crazy. But it was just across from Moab, across the Dead Sea. And so at one point, David picks up a prophet in, in, in his ventures here, or maybe he was one of the 400 that, that came with him. And, and, and he joins him, and his advice is, hey, leave the stronghold and go into the forest of Hereth, which is back over in Judah, around the vicinity of Adullam. And Hereth means thicket. Go live in the thickets around there. Go hide out in that area because where you're at in the wilderness, you're on this mountain and it's, there's nothing there. There's no vegetation, basically, and you're a sitting duck there. But go in the thickets and go hide out in all that area right there. And so he, he, he takes his advice and then in verse 6, he says, uh, When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had, see, had been discovered... Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under the Tamarek's tree and in Ramah and uh, with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you a field and vineyards and make you uh, all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me. And there is no one who revealed, reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant, servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg, the, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob and Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, um, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him permission, uh, provision and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so here we see that, that David... Um, he, he, he is on the run. He's going back over there and he has been discovered. And King Saul has, ha, has not been in his right mind for a while. And instead of taking care of the nation and taking care of all the problems that the nation can go through, he is so preoccupied with David. He has David living in his head rent free all the time. He cannot get him off his mind. He, all he wants to do is, 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 is get rid of him. And so um, I, I think it's no wonder that the men defected from him to David. But instead of ruling his kingdom uh, with the scepter in his hand, he was ruling his kingdom with the spear in his hand instead. He, 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 was, he was threatening the people. People were living in fear. Instead of him blessing the people, he is, he is cursing the people. He is coming against them. You see this paranoia, this suspicion, this mistrust that he had, that he could not trust any of his people. He started thinking that everybody was out to get him. He, he was thinking irrational thoughts. He, he was suspicious of everybody, even those closest to him, even his servants. 
and he comes against them and, and starts going off on him. And can you imagine when he starts going off on these, on these guys that these guys are probably just rolling their eyes like, here we go again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it wasn't the first time. He had done this to them time and time again. You see, there's two ways that, that, that we can minister to people or, or rule over people, even our own households. With the scepter to where you're going to bless people or with the spear in your hand to where people are looking at you going, man, why don't you just chill, chill out a little bit? Why don't you just, just stop and think about what you're saying? Because he starts going off on these guys and starts telling these guys that everybody is against him. Everybody is, 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 is doing things against him, man. He says, and no, none of you guys feel sorry for me. And he's, he's playing this victim card. You know, and it's like, here's the king. The king should not be playing that. It's demeaning for a king to play that way. Anybody in office that would, that would play tit for tat and things like that, it's like it's not becoming a, a leader like that. And so he's going off on these guys. And there he is again, making himself out to be better than David and accusing everybody, playing the victim. And then this character pops up. We saw him in the last chapter. And now you know why his name came up in the last chapter, Doeg. He realizes that it's his time to shine. Among all of Saul's men, it is his time to move up the ranks. If he already had some responsibilities, it's going to propel him even higher because he is going to drop a dime on all of this, man. He's going to tell them what's going on. He is an evil man. He, 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 he does not care that anybody else will get hurt. He just wants to get noticed. Now, most of what he says in verse, 11, or verse 10 is true. It, it, that, that, that David was there, that, that, that Ahimelech did give him provision, and that he had given him the sword. But David never, or Ahimelech never inquired of the Lord for him, but he says that he does. He tells him, instead of telling him the truth, he leaves it out. He doesn't say, hey, Ahimelech was kind of freaking out that David showed up without an entourage. I mean, he's like, why are you here? Is everything okay? And David begins to lie to him, and he has no reason to doubt David. David is the son-in-law of the king. And so he, Ahimelech, begins to scramble to help David because David has told him, that the king has sent them to do all these things, but he never inquired of the Lord for David. Do, Doeg is, is making himself look good and David look bad. And in verse 11, it says, So the king called to Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of a high tub. And he answered, Here I, I am, my Lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise up against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David. Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of the Lord, for, of God for him? Far be it from me. Let, the, let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of this, of, of all this, little or much. Then the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's house. Then the king said to the guard who stood by him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because he, they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king 
would not lift their hand to strike the, the priests of the Lord. The king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Man, oh man. Nob was only about three miles away from where they're at with Saul right now. And it was probably not unusual for the king to call the priests to get advice or to do something. And so Ahimelech has no idea what is about to happen. And instead of King Saul asking Ahimelech, hey, tell me what happened on that day. What, what all came down on that day? Because if he would have said, well, king, you sent them to me to go and do this. Like, I never did such thing. He would have found out this is not what is happening. But instead of that, he begins to accuse him of conspiring against him, of uh, uh, cavorting with the enemy, which is now David. And in his defense, he begins to tell the king the truth about who David is. About this man's character in verse 14. But unbeknownst to, to Ahimelech, this man that he is defending, David, the one he held in high honor, had lied to him and put him in jeopardy, put him in grave danger. And, and, and I read this portion, I'm thinking, my heart goes out to Ahimelech. He had no clue that this guy, David, that he probably looked up to going, this is a fine young man. This guy is going to go places and do things. And, and he had lied to him, and he put him in danger to this very moment right here. He, 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 is, he is lifting him up. All the while it was David, his lie is what has put this man in danger. Ahimelech would have never suspected David doing something like that because it wasn't part of his character. It wasn't part of his makeup. What he knew of him already, it was, that's not him. He doesn't do stuff like that. But this is the thing. Fear has entered into David. And David is motivated by fear and not by faith. And because of that, he is not only putting, hurting himself, but he's hurting other people. And guys, how often does that happen in our lives? When we begin to, to fear, it not only paralyzes us and, and hurts us, but it begins to affect the people around us when we are not trusting that God will take care of whatever situation we're in. He says, for your servant knew nothing of this, little or much. I had no clue. There's no way that, that, that I would conspire against you. And this was not going to be a slap on the wrist. It wasn't going to be a warning of some kind for him. I mean, talk about things getting out of hand and getting out of hand quick. But that's what happens when we start lying. That's what happens when we stop trusting that the Lord will take care of us no matter where, what situation we're in. All of a sudden, things are just snowballing and you're going, I can't pull it back in. It's already too late. David's nowhere to be found. Ahimelech has been called to the king. And the king's going, I had no clue what was happening. And he says, you're going to die. You're going to die right now. And he's probably thinking, I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it. But this is what happens when we stop trusting in the Lord not only affects those people, us, it affects other people. And I, I would say, consider a story, a story like this next time you think like you're in this hard position that you think that you have to lie about it just to try to get out of it. Consider a story like this that it can affect other people. Oh, it might not kill them, <laughs> but it will kill them emotionally. When they think of you, and they think of you in high esteem, and they put you in high esteem, and they think, oh, they would never do that. My dad would never say that. My mom would never do that. My son, my daughter, we, that's not the way we roll in our house. And yet, all of a sudden, 
the kids begin to lie or the parents begin to throw little things in there and all of a sudden, man, it's just like snowballing out of, out of control. And when the king says to his guards, turn and kill the priest, this wasn't the first time that the guards or the people around him didn't do what's all commanded. If you remember back in chapter 14, they refused to kill Jonathan, the king's son, when he dipped and took a little bit of the honey because Saul had said, if anybody eats, I don't care who it is, even if it's my son, he shall die. And, and, and Jonathan had no clue about the command, about the oath. And when he said, then it's with my son, he will surely die. And they said, your son shall not surely die. And they stood up to him. Again, you don't do that to a king, but this is not the first time that's happened. And so again, all these guys who said, we will not do it, they should have all been killed by the king as well. Doeg, man, he would have just had a frenzy here. But he kind of backs up. But he looks at this guy, Doeg. And Doeg is more than willing to kill. Hey, man, if this is going to propel me above all these other chickens, I will do it. I will do whatever it takes so that he knows my name, so that he propels me and brings me up, and he is willing to kill. He was probably the only one that could save Ahimelech's life and everybody else because he knew what had happened and what didn't happen. He knew exactly, but I think he just wanted to make a name for himself. But then again, I thought about this. He hadn't run back and told the king what had happened. Not until it comes up here. I don't know if it was a day or hour or a week, whatever timeline it was. He did not come and tell the king. So I'm wondering if when he killed the priests that were there and the family that, that it says that he went to Nob and he killed everybody. He's thinking, I don't want anybody to go tell the king that I could be at fault at this. So he decides, I'll put them all out of their misery. Nobody is going to tell on me. Not even the donkeys. I'm going to kill everybody. So I'm wondering if that's why he did a very thorough job going above and beyond what he was asked to do. And I just thought, what a snake. To cover himself, he is willing to kill innocent people. And yet because of David's lie, these innocent people were already in danger. And so it just kind of keeps on going on and on. And so in verse 20, it says that, um, it says, Now, of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the, the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag, the Edomite, was there that he could surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons in your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be saved. It is possible that everyone knew what a lowlife this Doeg was. Because David says, man, I knew it when I seen that guy. That he would probably be the one that messes this whole thing up. But David's sin found him out <laughs> one way or another. Even by a lowlife like this. It was exposed and people got hurt. And David confessed that day, he says, I have caused the death of all the persons in your father's house. All of this could have been averted if fear had not taken hold of David. But it was something that David allowed in his life. And I say that that way, that he allowed it, because he knew all too well how good and how big and how powerful and how mighty God had been in his life time and time and time again. And yet for some reason at this time in his life, fear captured him. He allowed fear to, to arrest him and, 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 and to drag him into places that he didn't want to go. 
It was the fear that did that. And all of this could have been averted. All of it. But he allowed it to happen. And so here we see David taking responsibility in what he has done and in essence repents right now, right here. He repents by taking the responsibility for his actions and by taking care of what is in his power to do. And that is take care of Abiathar. Then you stay with me. I will be responsible for you for for all the days of your life. In chapter 23, he says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go uh, and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the army of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go to Keilah. For I have delivered the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Even though David was now on the run, he was now in his right mind because he had repented. He, he had gotten, gotten it right with God, and so now he's thinking clearly. He, 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 he's back to who David was in that sense. He's back to doing what God has called him to do, and, and so now he's going to inquire of the Lord with any decision that's, that's going to happen here. And in reference to the threshing floor, the people had done all the work around the harvest time. They had brought it all in, and they, they, they were milling it, and they were doing all that they had to do for the provision. And what the Philistines would do, they would wait for this time, this season of the year, wait for all, all the harvest to come in, and then they just go rob them. And then these guys of Keilah, they don't have anything left for the rest of the year. And so that's what they were doing. These marauders were coming in and taking all their stuff. They were raiding them and, and taking it away. And so he goes, David goes and seeks the Lord, and the Lord answers him. Again, David, you knew this all too well. You could have done this when, when, you, when you took off to Nob. You could have said, Lord, what do you need from me? What do I do here? Instead, he was afraid. Here, you don't see any fear. He, he knows that he has inquired of the Lord and the Lord has spoken to him. And he goes and he tells his men and his men are, are afraid. Or maybe they're just hesitant going, hey, David, man, we're back in, in, in Judea over here. And if we go and expose ourselves, it's quite possible that, that we're going to get it from Saul here. He's going to find out where we're at. And I love the fact that, that David here, he, 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 he humbles himself because he cares about his men. They can't, they can't see what David sees right now. It's like, no, God has spoken to me about this whole situation. And they're going, oh, I don't know. Let's just back up a little bit because uh, let's just wait. And David said, well, I'll go back to the Lord, man, and see what the Lord tells me because I don't want this to be of my flesh. I've already messed up. I've already killed people. People have died because of my mistakes. I don't want to make that mistake, so I'll humble myself. I'll go back to the Lord, and I will inquire of the Lord once again. And he goes, and the Lord says, I am with you. I will deliver them. I got this. And I love the fact that he was able to go back and talk to his guys once again and say, I'm going with or without you guys. This is how confident I am that the Lord has spoken. So if you guys want to stay here, that's fine. I understand. But he said, I know what the Lord has spoken to me. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to go do this with or without you guys. And I think that's when they go, let's go. We're with you, David. Let's go fight. Let's go do this. 
Let's go take care of these people because that's what God has called you to do. We're with you, David. And then it happened. Now it happened in verse 6 when uh, Abiathar, Abiathar, the, um, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David in uh, Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in the entering, by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he brought. He said to the to uh, Abiathar, the priest, "Bring the ephod here." Then David said, "Lord God, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard?" O Lord, God of, o Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. You see, both of these guys had spies out there knowing what each guy was doing and moving and, and, and stuff. And this is what the guys feared. Hey, we're going to go expose ourselves. Keilah is a, is a city that has walls and gates and we're going to be trapped in there. And David's going, but God has told me to go. And I will go do it. And that's why they probably feared to go and do this. And, Paul, and Saul, instead of being concerned about the nation... And their well-being, the only thing he can think about is getting David. He must have heard that the Philistines had come through the threshing floor of Keilah, but he didn't do anything. And David, again, being an honorable man that he was like that, he goes and does the work that, that Saul should have been concerned about. So David inquires of the Lord to see if Saul would come down after him. The Lord says, yeah, he will. And he comes back and says, will the people betray me? And the Lord says, yes, they will. But you almost don't blame the people of Keilah. <laughs> they probably had heard what Saul did to Ahimelech and all the city of Nob. And they're probably thinking, if he comes, we're going to tell him, yes, he's been here, man. We should have sent somebody. We were on our way to send somebody. But hey, man, you got here quicker than we could send them somebody. And so you almost can't blame them. And in verse 13, it says, so David and his men, about 600, rose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted his exped expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of, my of Saul my father shall not find you, you shall be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. David's army has grown another 200 here. And he is on the move. And as they're going from place to place, somehow Jonathan can find them. And they meet up. And this would be the last time that these two meet. Although Jonathan didn't know that it would be his last time. 
But I love the fact that the, the beauty of this whole story is that they come together and it says, and he, he probably understood where David was at, hurting, and, 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 and all the guys that are with them, they're all hurting. And it says that he strengthened his hand in the Lord, in God. Guys, that's all we're called to do to one another, to strengthen one another, strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. That's all we can do. And I love the fact that, that, that Jonathan was willing to be next to David to become king. Oh, that would never happen because he would die soon or in the next few years. That would never happen. But I love the humility that Jonathan has here. The fact that, that he knows that, 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 that his dad's not going to reign forever. He knows that he is not the heir apparent to the throne. He knows that God has chosen David over everybody, over him. And he says, I want to be next to you, David. I see what God does in your life, and that's what I want because I see how you, you conduct yourself way different than, your, than my dad. And so he humbles himself. And in verse 19, it says, Then the Ziphonites came to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Is, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds, in the woods of the hills of Hakiah, which are on the south of Jeshimon. Now, therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hands. And David and Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has been with uh, and where and who has seen him there. For I am told that he is very crafty. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all who lurk, who of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me for certain with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plains of, on the south of Jeshimon. Then Saul... When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David to the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So the place was called the Rock of Escape. And then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. Man, that is a lot of reading. (laughs) <laughs> Try doing that one day up here. Um, you know, as much as, as the people knew that Saul had lost his kingdom, and I'm sure it was all around, these people in this place, in, in Zeph, they, they didn't want to lose their lives either. And so they went and they placated him. They, 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 they pacified and, and tried to calm him down by saying that, that they were all for him. And they would tell on him and all those kinds of things. And it's interesting that Saul, man, he's still playing. You know, it's like, oh, blessed are you of the Lord. Oh, the Lord has delivered him into my hands. And it's like, dude, you're a fool. You know that you have lost the kingdom. You know that the Spirit of God is not upon you. And I love the fact that Jonathan had already told him, David, he's never going to catch up to you. Not as long as I live. He's never going to catch you because I know that the Lord will not deliver you into his hands because I know you're going to be the next king. And yet Saul still thinks, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go kill him. And he will continue doing this. 
going to be, he's like running after this rabbit that he's never going to catch. And when he thinks that, that he, he's close to him, David's going to spare his life a few times. All the while, God has had his hand upon David, upon David because of his repentance, because of where he came back to. The Lord's going to use him mightily. And Saul will become the fool still again. Guys, again, these are stories that the Lord puts in here for our benefit. That when lying, that when we're confronted with lying to think that we can get away with it, we can't. Oh, you might for a little bit, but it will catch up to you. And it's much better just to repent now. And don't let it go any further before other people get hurt. Because all of a sudden, man, you're separating people and friends. And so let's not even go there, amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we do thank you and praise you once again for these, uh, these stories, Lord God, this history that is before us, Lord. Again, Lord God, you show us, Lord, the reality of what it means when we fear and the reality of what it looks like when we trust. And yet, Lord, we see David's life here, Lord, in these last few chapters, that when fear gripped him, Lord, all of a sudden, Lord, he, he turns his eyes away from you and he fears man. And yet, Lord, when, when his eyes are, are focused on you and walking after you, Lord God, there's nothing this man fears. And so, Lord, I pray for us. Lord, because we're put in situations in our lives that sometimes we feel like, like there's no other way out except lying or deceiving. And yet, Lord God, we... We hurt people and we get hurt ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring us to a place, Lord, of truth in our lives. That we would live in the truth because the truth is what sets us free. Even if we're on the run, Lord, we are set free. And I see this in David's life, Lord. As soon as he repents, as soon as he takes responsibility for what he had created, Lord, all of a sudden, Lord, you were speaking to him as he sought your face. You were leading him, and you were protecting him, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you once again for these, these stories in your word, Lord. They're so true. And we bless you and we thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. And if you need prayer for anything, man, don't hesitate. Just stand.